So if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3. We're in this series called The Heart of the Gospel, and uh, as we are looking at these things, uh, the thing that we're trying to wrap our minds around is uh, when we kind of peel the layers away from all the language and all the other stuff, all the understandings and misunderstandings of what the gospel is, like what is at the very core of it. That's, that's really what we're after, and I don't know of a better place than Romans 3, 4, 5 um, to really get at this, okay? And so uh, I got to be honest, I'm not sure we're going to get as far as the front of your bulletin says, but we'll do our best. Everybody with me on that? Amen. Okay, here we go. Uh, Romans chapter 3, uh, we're going to start, we're going to read verse 27 down to the end of the chapter and pause there for a little bit and then uh, see if we can get to those first couple of verses of chapter 4. Uh, Romans 3 verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Now this, like last week, that's a mouthful. I mean, you just shove it in there and chew on it for a little bit. Um, but again, because this is, these couple of paragraphs in particular um, are so chock full theologically and, and dense doctrinally, it's good to take them slowly and chew on them a little bit. So that's what I'm hoping for is that we'll just kind of chew on this and marinate on this a little bit. Just work on it. Um, uh, really just a couple of statements this morning. And if we get to the example of Abraham, that's great. But these two statements this morning, and it's, uh, both of them are, are crucial. Here we go. Uh, the, the first one is this, is that nobody boasts before God. How many people boast before God? Nobody. That's what he starts with. Then what becomes of our boasting? And then what's his conclusion? It's excluded. Nobody boasts before God. Nobody stands up to God and be like, man, here I am. Nobody looks at, uh, at God and goes, uh, excuse me, why didn't, you, why didn't you pick me first? Nobody stands before God and boasts. Nobody boasts before God. Why is that? Because it says it's, it's excluded or ruined. Boasting is ruined by faith. Why is it ruined by faith? Let's back all the way up, uh, uh, back to verse 21, and read this paragraph again, and we'll talk about this for just a minute. But now, not... not not, uh, I mean, excuse me, in, in this part of kind of, of what God is doing in the world. But now the righteousness of God has been made manifested, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Here, just verse 23, don't miss this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let's pause. Why is boasting excluded? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, we've already said all several times already. We talked about God being perfect in all of his ways and us trusting in the Lord with all of our heart and leaning not on our understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledging him. Here's another really important all for the morning. All of us have sinned, every one of us. And because we're, we have sinned, we have fallen short of the glory of God. Some of you know the kind of background on that word for sin is this whole idea of missing the mark as if you, know, you, you draw the arrow back and you're going to let that sucker go and it, and it, and it flies off target. In some, in some ways, that's a great illustration, but it's also something along the lines of uh, we've, we've got the target kind of in view and we draw the arrow back and then we turn and shoot it at the king himself. 
That's really more what it's like. We're so far off target that we're actually um, treasonous toward him. We're, we're traitors. We're, we're people who uh, have, have chosen to walk not only away from God, but we've chosen to do things that are in direct contradiction. So for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, boasting is ruined by faith because we're all sinners. We're short of the glory of God. And then verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Boasting is ruined before God because we're all sinners and because it was grace that was shown to us. Grace is unmerited and unearned. It, it is one of those things that you can't work your way toward. You can't uh, 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 make yourself kind of uh, worthy of grace in some manner. None of us, none of us uh, can make ourselves right before God. All of us have to be uh, received by him, by grace. It is undeserved and it is unearned. Boasting is ruined before God because of that. And it's also ruined because, uh, before God because none of us accomplished this. Who did? Jesus did. Look at verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show uh, God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over sins. Punishing all sin where? At the cross. So let's just, boasting is ruined before God. Why? Because we're all sinners. Boasting is ruined before God. Why? Because it's grace and not work on our part. Thirdly, boasting is ruined before God. Why? Because Jesus is the one who did it. You and I did not. And that's really important to just hold on to and, and, and let it just kind of sink into us here. So back to our passage here, uh, verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. What he's saying there, just for clarity's sake, is uh, it wasn't the Old Testament that ruined boasting. It was Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the one who did it. And the reason why that's important to hold on to is because Jesus is holding on to us, so there will never be an appropriate time to boast before God. So I, just, I, I was thinking about this this past week, and... Um, I, some of you know, I was, I was gone this week doing some um, graduate work and sitting around with a bunch of guys thinking about these things and talking about these things. And one of the guys said, kind of, what's ministry like? We talked about rockets and engineers and, you know, weird people like that. that kind of thing. This, is, this is the image that kind of came to mind. What if you and I, I'm not sure this illustration is going to work, which is why I'm pausing, but I'm going for it, okay? So, so what if, what if um, you know, we, we were out there to, to watch one of the Titan rockets go off. Titan is the current launch vehicle. No, what's the current launch vehicle? Atlas. Atlas. Titan was a long time ago, wasn't it? I'm just uh, dating my rocketry. You, you run out there to the, um, to, to the launch pad at Kennedy, right? And you, you see a guy, um, you're, you're there to watch, and you see a guy go running towards the launch pad as the countdown goes down. And all of a sudden, he's standing underneath one of those Atlas rockets going, look how close I am, look how close I am, as it goes eight, seven, six. And he's going, look how close I am, five, four, ah, this is the best seat ever, one, crispy, right? I mean, just... He was boasting all the way up until that really crucial moment. And then he figured out that that boasting didn't actually help him even a little bit, did it? When it comes to this whole idea of boasting before God, oh, look what I can do, God, look at all the things that I can do. What, it, what we figure out is we're right there saying, oh, what a great seat I have right before the thunder comes down, right before the fire gets, right before we get what we deserve. 
That's why if anybody is in a right relationship with God, boasting is excluded. That, that's why uh, we're not saying, oh, listen, we, um, here's what we're doing. Uh, we're bragging about how close we are. When we're boasting before God, we're bragging about how close we are, all the while not realizing what's actually about to happen. Nobody boasts before God. Why? Because boasting is ruined by faith. Okay, continuing on, this second bullet of this first big statement here. Verse 28, for we hold that no one is justified by faith, excuse me, that one, not no one, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So how does a person get right with God? It's not a, it, um, by works of the law, it's apart from works of the law, instead it's by faith. So justification comes by faith. Justification comes by faith. Justification is a big word. I want to just, you know, recognize that. But I also want to say this, that when we think about justification, um, here's what we need to think about. We need to think about uh, that it, we are made right with a righteous God. That's the best way that I know how to say it, is that when, we re- when you read that word justification, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law, what you need to read is we are made right by, or excuse me, with a righteous God and made right by that righteous God. We are made right with a righteous God. So how does that actually work? How does that happen? How does that go? Um, so God has this commitment. He has this commitment to always, always, always do right, right? He, that's, that's part of what makes him God is he's committed to do right. And then he always does. And so that's what makes God righteous, um, in the universe is that he's committed to do what's right. And he always does what's right. He has never failed. He's never fumbled. He's never messed up. He's never, uh, uh, faltered. He's never nothing, none of those things. He is always committed to do what is right and then always does what is right. This commitment and this follow through um, to this commitment is what is required of you and it's what's required of you and me. Anybody who's going to be a follower of Jesus, uh, that's what it's required. How many of us live up to that though? How many? Nobody does. Nobody does. In fact, we're all sinners, right? That's what we've read a while ago. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So um, um, enter Jesus then. Justification by faith, justification that comes by faith, those who are made right with a righteous God by faith have to have a hero in the story. And that's when Jesus enters. Because he was and is committed to doing what's right, and he is the one who always did what was right, and so his righteousness kind of covers us. So going back to our rocket illustration, here I am, I'm standing under three, two, one, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes in, shields me and takes the punishment that I deserved. He comes in and he wraps his um, life, if you will, his perfect life around my imperfect life so that his perfection counts for me. And that's what it means to be justified. To be made right with a righteous God is when the flames came down, right? When everything had kind of exploded, and rightly so, he covered me. I am made right with a righteous God. Justification comes by faith. So Jesus steps in. He, um, his righteousness is counted as our righteousness. And uh, he says here in verse 28, this doesn't come by works. I can't do this. Now, we've preached enough around here, and I, I get this, and so I want to just acknowledge this. I, 
I'm guessing if we took a survey in here, um, 100% of us would say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody gets made right with God by works. Here's my worry at times, that sometimes we think that we're going to get made with right, right with God by our faith plus our works. I'm not going to earn my way. I'm going to say, oh, but look, look at what a good person I am. Let's add a little Jesus, but here I am. Now God really wants me. So just to be clear, it's not works, and it's not faith plus works. It's faith alone. We, we says, look what he says. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Meaning what? Completely separated from, completely distanced from, up faith alone. That's it. And we have to hold on to that. It cannot come by works, only by faith in Jesus. It cannot come by faith plus works, only by faith in Jesus. In fact, the prescription uh, must fit the problem. Otherwise, it's a bad prescription, and God doesn't make bad prescriptions. So what? What's the problem? Our sin. What's the prescription? Jesus. That's the thing. Not Jesus plus, not Jesus and, not Jesus with, Jesus. Jesus in him alone. I'm just pause here and say, uh, just recognize, well, aren't works important? Yes, they're important. They're important. But the order is just as important. Can you turn to the right with me for just a minute to the book of Ephesians? Look at verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 8. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. There it is again. So not a result of works. So that no one may boast. Do you see the same language here? Now, this is what we've been saying all morning, over and over and over and over and over again. We are justified by God apart from works of the law. We are justified uh, before God apart from works of the law. It's not um, our works. It's not our faith plus our works. Instead, it's by faith and by faith alone. That's how any person is made right with a righteous God. Now, he says in verse 10, keep reading, for or because we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So are good works important? Absolutely, yes. The order is equally important. First, we are made right with God. Then, in that moment, he creates in us something by which we then go live these things out, right? He gives us a new life, a new power by which we go and live these things out. Oh, good works, they're important. We got plenty to do around here. Anybody notice that the world's going to hell in a handbasket? I mean, just as fast as it can possibly go, it is declining. And here we are. And so what are we, the people of God, salt and light? What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to do good works. Those are important. But not to make us right with God, but because we are right with God. Did you see that? Don't miss it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is a gift of God, not as a result of works, um, so that no one may boast. Because, for, we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. So the creation in Christ Jesus comes first. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We got stuff to do. There's no doubt about that. What do, what do we do first? We believe and are made right with God so that then we can 
live this out. Uh, the, I want to summarize it this way. This whole idea of the doctrine of justification, again, this is kind of meaty. It's kind of big and theological. Uh, this year is the 500th year of the, uh, um, the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation where Martin Luther got all up and 95 theses to the door at Wittenberg. Um, and uh, it's, it's, you know, something to celebrate in October. This was the big doctrine that they held on to. Just walk with me through these just quick steps. When we talk about justification by faith, here's what we're talking about. Uh, justification, first of all, it, it is a legal declaration before God. God the judge bangs the gavel and says, I'm declaring you innocent in my sight. It is a legal declaration before God. Uh, you are not guilty. Secondly, it, it is before God. It's not before somebody else. It's not before you, me, or it's before God. It is a legal declaration that happens before God. That's because he's the judge. He's the one who ultimately matters and has the final say. It is a legal declaration before God because of Jesus. Not because of me, not because of you, not because of your value, not because of your ability, not because of your works, but because of Jesus and what he's done. It is a legal declaration before God because of Jesus by faith alone. Don't miss that. By faith alone. And it is a legal declaration before God because of Christ, by faith alone and by grace alone. God steps into our world with a mercy and a beauty and a love that captures us and brings us the help that we need. It is by faith alone and by grace alone. Just pause here and say, so what's the outcome of this? Why in the world are we churning so slowly through this section of scripture. What's the outcome of this? One of the great outcomes that I think ought to mark every person who's a follower of Jesus is humility. Because if we're standing before God and all of a sudden we realize just how bad our world is and just how bad we are in it and how much he's done to rescue us, we don't go, yeah, that's right, I'm so glad, you know, I, God made a pretty dang good choice when he chose me, that kind of thing, what do we? I, listen, I should be burning in hell. And instead, here I am. There ought to just be this humility about us. And it ought, it ought to show up in the way that we think about relationships and the way that we think about marriage and the way that we think about our kids, in the way that we uh, um, relate to them, in the way that we think about our politics, in the way that we post on Facebook about our politics and a hundred other things, right? This humility ought to just undergird us and, and ought to be the kind of foundation so that when you meet a follower of Jesus, you ought to just, oh, that smells like humility right there. Just, oh, confidence, yes, confidence, 100% confidence. Why? Because God is the one who's done it, not me. Confidence, yes, but just this humility that says, man, I, I you know, again, I, I should be burning in hell. And instead, here I am. It's such a, for me, this humility so much of, of, of the problems that we get ourselves in are because we've got this um, heaving at the soul level to try to be somebody or accomplish something or do something or get noticed for something, that kind of thing. And this, this doctrine of justification says the king and the judge has banged the gavel and he has done so in your favor. So just be at rest. The king and the judge who is now your father because of Jesus has spoken his word over you and it's a good word. 
Just be at rest. Just be satisfied in him. There's nothing out there that can satisfy. Be satisfied in him. And man, when we, when we get that, when it creeps into us and soaks into us, humility is one of the outcomes. Okay. Um, he, he changes here, um, and he asks the same question from the other side. Okay, verse 29. Or is God the God of Jews only? Why in the world would he ask that question? Because here's what he's saying. Um, uh, listen, is, is God in the business? Uh, if, if people, excuse me, are justified uh, before God by works of the law, then who, who, who are the only people who are God's people? The Jewish people, right? That's what he's saying, because they're the ones who had the, the, the law. They're the ones who understood what God wanted. So he changes and he's kind of asking it from the other side to say, if God justifies people by works of the law, then really he's only the God of the Jews. But that's not what the deal is. Verse 29, uh, excuse me, verse, yes, 29. Or is God the God of the Jews only? What's the obvious answer? No. Is he not God of the Gentiles also? Obviously, yes, that's what he says. Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. He's saying there's one God, and there's only one way to be justified before God. There's only one God, and there's only one way to be justified before God. So uh, just walk the logic through here. Uh, because God is the only God, he's the God of everybody. So let's just pause here and think and think about how this applies in your particular world. You know that neighbor that drives you crazy? That coworker who just, I mean, makes you want to pull your hair out? Guess what? God is the God of them too. God is the God of that person. So he's the God of everybody. He's the God of everybody. Now, with that in mind, think about what ministry looks like then to, to that person. Uh, because God is the only God, he's going to justify everybody the same way. Look at verse 30. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised, that's the Jewish people, by faith, and the uncircumcised, that's the Gentiles, through faith. So how does someone get justified before God? By their own works, right? No, How? By faith, that's what it says. We gotta just hammer and hammer and hammer that, folks. Listen, there's only one way to be right with a righteous God, and that is by faith. Uh, and he, he circumcises those who are Jewish by faith, and he, circum, uh, the, I mean, excuse me, he um, brings justification uh, to those who are Jewish, and he brings justification uh, to those who are Gentiles, and he does that the exact same way he does that by faith. He does it by faith for everybody. God justifies everyone the exact same way. One God and one way that he makes people right with him. And then, verse 31, <clears throat> do we then overthrow this law by faith? No, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What does he mean by that? Because God is the only God, and he's the God of everybody, because God is the only God, and he's going to justify everybody the same way. Because God is the only God, he, satisfy the law. he satisfies the law for everybody who has faith in Jesus. Everything that was required of us, Jesus has done for us. That's why he says we're not nullifying the law. We're not throwing it out. We're saying, oh, that's so important that Jesus had to do it for you and for me. He satisfies the law for everybody who has faith. So just run this down. There's only one God and there's only one way. Now listen, where, where does this meet you and me? Let's go back to that person who drives you crazy, right? Uh, think about what their deepest need is. Their deepest need is the same deepest need that you and I both have. What is their deepest longing? I mean, when, if you were to just crack their chest open and just reach down inside and grab a hold of their soul, what would you find at the deepest part of who they are? What would you find at the soul level of their lives? What, would you, what longing would you find? And that longing is to be satisfied. Good news. God has provided a way 
for you and I to be satisfied in him. And we don't have to work. We don't have to earn. We don't have to jump on a religious treadmill and just, and just get all uh, uh, you know, sweaty and stuff without actually going anywhere. Instead, he's provided Jesus for us. And our response is to have faith, to trust Jesus. And then we are made right with God. And he gives us this incredible level of satisfaction at the, uh, you know, deep, deep down. The, the other way to think about this is, um, you, you think about this room just right here. You think about the room that you're going to go into when you go to Sunday school here in a minute. Think about this. Um, who in there is better than you or who in there are you better than? And the answer is nobody. Why? Because at the foot of the cross, everybody's the same. When we, th- this is the place of unity. It's the reason why uh, the gospel is the best answer to racial reconciliation and political reconciliation and, and uh, all of these other things. Why? Because it's at the foot of the cross that the playing field gets ultimately leveled. You and I have the exact same problem and Jesus has addressed it in the exact same way for everybody in here. So you know, just look around our uh, stage, for instance. You know, you got uh, folks who, um, you know, tattoos and stuff, rocking out on the electric guitar. And Frank grew up as a preacher's kid. And, I mean, you just think about the diversity that even extends up here on the stage. And then listen, you think about the diversity that's in our world. But yet, what is the single thing that unifies us? Everybody's equal at the foot of the cross. Everybody has the exact same need. And listen. Everybody has to respond to Jesus the exact same way. And how is that? It's by faith. A person is made right with a righteous God only by faith. Not by works. Not by faith plus works. Only by faith. Only by faith. I'll give you this one verse. This is later in the book of Romans, but just listen to this. And then we're done. Romans 15 verse 7 says this. Therefore, welcome or accept or receive. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed or accepted or received you. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. How did Jesus welcome us? Through the cross. How do we welcome one another? How do we embrace one another wholeheartedly? Even, even if we're different, even if we struggle, even if we're, we got to, how do we welcome one another? Just like Jesus accepted us through the cross. We see everybody the same because everybody's needs are the same. And church family, listen, that's going to be important this week to somebody in some context. So I want you to hold on to that. Accept one another. Why? Because you're going to be tolerant? No, 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 no. Accept one another just as Jesus has accepted you to the glory of God. Let me pray and then we'll respond, okay? Uh, thank you, Father, for your word this morning. Uh, thank you for the things that you have said. Thank you for the way that you have set this important doctrine out before us. Um, I, here's what I'm asking. In this moment right now, uh, that you would apply this to wherever it needs to go. Some people need confidence uh, because um, they're not so sure of their standing before you. Father, by your grace and through your word, would you speak over them this word, justified? Uh, some people, Father, need a, uh, just a, a good, um, appropriate, kingdom-oriented, filled-with-Jesus kind of dose of humility. Uh, Father, would you grant us that? Some people, Father, uh, need an outward look that this doctrine needs to push them outward towards that person at their workplace or in their neighborhood or in their family. Would you, um, in this moment, by your spirit, push us outward? 
Thank you, Father, for the way uh, that you have spoken this morning. Thank you for the goodness that you've given us in Jesus. And thank you that we don't have to earn anything before you. You've done it all for us. Please continue to minister as you see fit and as is best for your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.